Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. From Northampton and her teenage daughter who'd like to be anonymous. This is Dum Dee Dum, the show about the reality docudrama that are centered on Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the furtive attraction that is Royfield Brown. With me, I have the lusty passion who goes by the name of Kerry Warbis. And we are joined by that Hulk of animal magnetism, who is Peter Fickling. And the last part of this week's love across the social divide, folks, is you. Now, this week's Dum Dee Dum comes from Charlotte and her teenage daughter from Northampton. I want you, I need you, I implore you to Dum Dee Dum in again, because that was some rather excellent mother and daughter action. Now, Kerry, if someone would like to send us in a Dum Dee Dum, maybe they want to sing with their child, sibling, uncle, aunt, or and maybe a random. How can that be done? Or a pet. If you would like to sing <laughs> us a dumpty dum, <laughs> that's happened before. Don't mock. Um, <laughs> if you would like to sing us a dumpty dum or leave us a plot prediction, then call us on 0203-031-3105. Leave us a message on Speakpipe or send us a text message starting with dumb to 0778620690. Thanks to our social media supremos, Cosmo for his podcast roundup, Mike Hatton for his character counts, Shambridge for her voices, and to Lucy V. Freeman. Now, folks, we have big things afoot at the end of this podcast. Not only do you have closing remarks from Pete Ficklin and Auntie Kerry Warburton, but you have the whole list of people that contribute to this podcast so uh, you want to stay around for that Um, if you are one of the people who gives us money on paypal or patreon um, your name is up in light so to speak at the end of this podcast so don't be like saying "Ooh, right it's it's the bit where royfield says it's dum-de-dum dum-dum.com goes got a shot i think it's all over the best is yet to come so stay to the very end 
and hear the whole list of people that help keep the good ship Dumby Dum afloat. Now, on this week's episode, here he is from Witherspoon, Caroline. Caroline Wright, oh, she does a poem. It's going to be right at the end of the show. So, well, so, so thank you for that, Caroline. We always put those at the end of the show. So listen to that. Claire from Clapham, Miranda, Liz, uh, Elsa, and Shifty Dave. Shifty Dave's back, folks. You thought mm-hmm. you wandered off, but no, Shifty Dave is back. But first, it's our burning topic of the week. And this week's topic topic is Elizabeth. Is it a romance for the ages? Pete Ficklin, you seem to be a man that's versed in classic romances all throughout Western civilization. Um, <laughs> why don't you kick things off, Pete? The romances between me and Vince Casey, I absolutely adore the man. Um, <laughs> he gives David a kicking. I mean, Elizabeth is a wonderful character, but maybe she can be a little bit pompous. And I think Vince coming into her life is going to maybe smooth off some of those rough edges. Um, uh, Royfield, he's, you know, he's got, all of your smooth Midland brogue, but with a, a little bit of a kind of a, maybe more of a manly edge. I mean, he's just wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I've loved him in um, this week's episodes. But is is Vince or Mince married? Where what's Where's Mrs. Mince? Do we know? Do we care? I mean, I'm perfectly happy to see Elizabeth go down another um, tortuous kind of, um, you know, <laughs> extramarital route uh, if, if, you know, to make it happen. I, I mean, I think... So we know that he's got an eight-year-old daughter who is going to get me ma- be married at a Lower Loxley in about twenty years' time. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and I, don't, you know, I mean, Vince. Vince obviously seems there's a bit of the the Matt Crawfords about him. He's obviously and uh, you know the Justins and he's a, a wheeler dealer who likes to to um, make things happen. But he's also a family man who's trawling around the county doing um, hard work to look after his daughter's nuptials. So I don't necessarily think he's Matt Crawford or Justin like in kind of being immoral. Um, so I, you know, I've got high hopes that Vince wouldn't be someone um, doing the dirty on anyone. But I can't really be sure whether he was like, oh, yeah, I'll definitely be checking that out about Lizzie or about the fact that she's got a stately home. Oh, I thought it was a hundred percent Lizzie because okay. uh, he he has been um, sure-footed, and and you know, Kerry, for me to disagree with you so unequivocally really does show the depth of my um, confidence <laughs> in this. Um, he's been very sure-footed his whole time in the show. He very rarely puts a word out of place, and then he was really quite sort of sheepish and almost kind of schoolboyish when he was trying to uh, winkle out that information from um, Ruth and David mm. about uh, exactly what goes on over at Lower Loxley. Oh, that's interesting that her, you know the dead husband and stuff. And yeah. I mean, when Ruth mentioned uh, she's been looking after the place on her own since her husband died, he practically sort of had a did a rumba, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, you could you could hear the Oklahoma kick click click of his heels in the back, you yeah. know, background. Yeah, what what I would love is if they do get involved, which I'm not sure if they do. I don't think it'll be immediate. Lizzie will be very wary, won't she? Oh, she'll so, play hard to get. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm really looking forward to is is forget Lizzie. I want Mince to be in the same house as Russ. 
Oh, yeah, that I mean, it's what a beautiful clash. I mean, the uh, Vince just walking in with what you know, you assume he's got wads of cash just secreted all over his you know, a uh, triple breasted uh, um, suit. He's probably got a quadruple breasted suit, he's that kind of like you know, <laughs> out there. And he's just he just walk in there and he's just like buying bits of art left, right, and center. <laughs> Russ is kind of like you know, oh, so you know, what you know, what are you going to do with them, Vince? I, I don't know, put them in one of the toilets downstairs or something. <laughs> no, just. I, I like people who are different to me and he no you know I'm constantly obsessed with you know being polite and who will think this and should we use our best tea set I'm a horribly middle class kind of prissy man <laughs> and I love the fact that Vince is so kind of like unabashed and you know gets I mean just look at the way that he ruffles David's feathers yeah I loved it how did he he said to David didn't he um how's it hanging mate yeah <laughs> But straight away, I was like, yes, talking to David, how he would hate to be spoken to. I mean, you disagree with me because you've got a profound dislike of David and you've got a profound yeah. dislike of the Archers family in general. But yeah. I mean, I I think I sort of kind of go, oh, well, you know, this is the Archers and this is the Archers family. And so more often than not, I kind of go along with the, the intent of the writers. And it's like, oh, we're supposed to be on the side of Ruth. We're supposed to be on the side of the different farms. And we're, want to, we're supposed to want them well, with, obviously with the with the exceptions, Pat, Sheila, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, <laughs> and it, but just this week, you're like, David is absolutely rubbish at, with any kind of, in, with any kind of interpersonal skills. And so Vince has turned up and the first thing is, he's just like, Oh, you, what do you want? You know, words to that effect. Yeah. And then Vince is trying to quite reasonably negotiate uh, um, some kind of discount on his daughter's wedding in the mm. middle of a recession and, you know, and yeah, and it was just really good fun to hear Vince just sort of toying with David and with such good grace and with a with a laugh as well. Yeah, David was so rude. He was moaning about the extra haulage cost of having to go to the abattoir or something. Yeah. Like and going, and, and when is your Borchester one going to be reopening? And he sort of went, oh, as soon as we can. He went, well, I don't hear any dates being mentioned. Thought, Jesus Christ, who are you? What, yeah. you know, what, what exactly? I don't know. Why be like that? And, and, I love, and I love that he was like that. And then uh, Vince was like, well, actually, I might still want a wedding at your place. And he had to backtrack a little bit. And even then, gracelessly. Yeah. But Roy, Royfield, I mean, much. You're, you, you know, you're a proud Midlander. Is it not, how do you feel about uh, Vince? Do you think he's putting the region's best foot forward or do you think he's um, letting the side down? <laughs> well, I, I feel he's um, the new Jack Woolley. Basically, you know, oh, okay. movement, you know, mm. a few rough edges. Um, and I do like his jousts and his sparring with David. I like the fact that basically David can't can't handle him, though. To be fair, David did um, have his we will not cross the Rubicon. There is no more discounts to be had moment with him. But, you know, I like it. And one of my small criticisms of the archers is that considering it's so close to Brum, there aren't enough Brummy accents, really. Yeah. So to hear this thunderingly round bowed Brummy, uh, you know, it made me feel right at home. So I'm like, yeah. let's have more more events, basically. Mm. And when David was trying to say, you know, like, oh, you've had your discount, that's it, take it or leave it. Then when, he, when David spoke to Lizzie, Lizzie was on Vince's or Mince's side, wasn't she? Sort of going, well, he's a businessman, what do you expect? Yeah. Um, and you're lucky to even have a bloody booking, to be honest with you. <laughs> so, um, you know, I liked that she was put, putting David right. And he was like, oh, yeah, I suppose so. Um, so actually, she already was um, pitching for Vince Casey herself. 
And um, and you get, I mean, obviously, it's just going on the information we've been given, but you get the impression he's a wealthy man, and it's not sort of um, like Trump wealth, like there he's properly rich, and he could have the wedding anywhere he wants. And so he's trying to make his little princess happy, and he happens to have, his daughter happens to have rather foolishly chosen a kind of a ramshackle shed at the back of a run-down farm, you know, the on the on the fringes of the shire uh, mm. and and you know david doesn't just doesn't seem to get that it's his lucky days his you know he should be incredibly grateful and as you just said kerry lizzie, uh, lizzie spotted it immediately and i really um, uh, hearing hearing them i mean lizzie didn't show any attraction whatsoever she didn't kind of flirt with him there was no kind of immediate mm. uh, immediate spark beyond the, beyond the fact that he kind of made a few light jokes but mm. i do i do think that if and when they're a couple, and I'm determined they will be a couple, um, that you know Elizabeth will have a lot of fun. I think, and I think it'll. Yeah. I think that you know she she will let her hair down, and I cannot wait to see David going absolutely mental. But also, yeah. he's a loyal <laughs> brother. I'll give him that. He is a loyal brother, and I think he will yeah. play along. And who is that odious uh, Jude? He'll have learned his lesson from Jude that he has to squash. David his, um, never his... learned his lessons. You know that that's where you're wrong, Peter. David yeah. doesn't. You don't think learn... he learned a lesson? No, no, no. Uh, but so There's you a think lot of Elizabeth? In I, I think so too. I think so too. You know, it's a. It does smack of old money meets new money, doesn't it? You know, so uh, which is which is always good. Um, how else can can we see the budding romance uh, developing? What would be bumps in the road? I think Peter's right about the comedy factor of Vince. I liked it when he said, which will be good for Lizzie. Um, I liked it when um, Vince said to David, that's not why I've given myself the pleasure of talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, yay, loads of sarcasm that will have gone straight over David's head. Uh, What I didn't understand about, you know, you're talking about old money, new money. Why would old money Vince's daughter choose Felpish and Court Hotel, which is a symphony of concrete (laughs) as a potential? Or do you think he made that up? Yeah, I was going to say, was that a negotiating tactic? Could um, be. I just assumed it was because that, you know, made life easier. I didn't really kind of think it through at all. <laughs> and um, he said about that, didn't he, that it should that place should have a shoot straight to the divorce court. <laughs> <laughs> the whole village has, I'd say, above average levels of pomposity in in, in its citizens. Like mm. the average, the average member of Archers really is quite up themselves. And so your Matt Crawfords or your Vince Casey's, they're they're fantastic, and even Justin to a certain Jazza. extent. I mean, he's Jazza, exactly. I mean, yeah. J- Justin Justin is obviously a very sort of like up himself kind of. Um, slightly pompous man but he's very good at pricking other people's pomposity and so when these characters come in it gives me a lot of pleasure and yeah i mean there, there will be bumps i guess obviously there should be uh with this union <laughs> <laughs> but i'm really looking forward to them i hope that actually i think lizzie is um she's recovering from these um her, her mental illness uh her depression She's obviously recovering now, just starting to sort of go go out there and put herself about after obviously um, losing Nigel and having that uh, a few weird kind of like semi romances and stuff. Out of the two of them, he's I, I think he's you know a sort of um, a very happily single man about town. I, that's the impression I get, and I think actually it'll be Lizzie who's the complicated one, and he'll just be resolute and getting on with his life. I think mm. that'll be quite a nice, yeah. fun way of doing it. Sorry, is there anything particularly bad? We know about him there was a certain level of dodgy menace when he said to josh uh josh you know you can always get a job with me 
Electra. Do you remember there was the whole mm-hmm. scene where he turns up when Josh gets arrested and then has a conversation with Josh afterwards? Yeah. Did lead us to think, you know, you are proper dodgy and a little bit of maybe a gangster. I think that's just been, that. just been left <laughs> <there>. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe, 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 uh, my two co-hosts, uh, we need to slightly park this uh, because we yep. do have a gigantuan list of people to thank and we do have some caller in of us. But uh, why, don't I, why don't we um, have conclusions? Uh, conclusions for our mints and, and our Elizabeth. First to you, Pete Ficklin. Give us a couple of lines. So he might be dodgy, but he cannot be um, guilty of the ultimate sin in the arches, which is being boring. And you know, so that's fine by me. Well, I'm looking forward to Mince and Lizzie getting hitched at the Felpsham Court Hotel. <laughs> Hello, Ambridge three nine six two. First off, it's one of the grandees uh, in terms of being a call winner. It's our Witherspoon Upper Lower East West Side boom shaka laka laka boom 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 boom. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salads and scrambled eggs Mercy Greetings everyone in Dumpty Dum Towers and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. First off, I liked what Claire from Clapham said last week about Gavin's long-term close contact with the workers softening him up, kind of like a reverse Stockholm Syndrome. A couple of weeks ago, I wondered whether Gavin would have a come-to-Jesus moment and renounce his wicked ways. Well, it felt like that for a short time when he talked with Alistair. Who would have thought that Alistair could be a Christian savior? How do you picture the village vet with long hair and a beard? Well, that seemed short-lived. When Gavin confronted his dad about ways in which he treated him when they went camping, which, to tell the truth, didn't appear that out of the norm, Philip quickly was able to make amends with his son. We're being teased a bit about a Gavin turnaround, and it may happen, but he still has to go to jail and serve his time. However, Philip seemed a bit shaken up and now is trying to convince Kirsty that they should get out of the village and fast. Now, a word about the Alice storyline. If she does carry to term and the baby does have fetal alcohol syndrome, which is indeed playing the long game, it feels like a replacement for the Mike, Vicky, and Bethany storyline, which, despite its popularity, was summarily dismissed by the producer at the time. Maybe the Archer's current brain trust regrets that decision and wants a similar story now. Finally, what seems to be my weekly niggle at Peter but please, please don't take it personally, Peter. Last week, you made an offhand comment about not liking a certain BBC4 Saturday morning show. I hope you weren't talking about the one co-hosted by a priest who used to be in the communards and whose former musical partner I had two dates with once upon a time, because I like the show very much. Talk to you soon. He's had two dates with the. I'm more interested Jimmy in this, Somerville. to be honest. Yeah, I've got a funny Jimmy Somerville story. He lives in your neck of the woods, doesn't he? Yeah, I once gave Jimmy Somerville warm roast lamb out of my coat pocket at Brighton <laughs> train station. Gary, <laughs> and, and he gave me his address. How many times have you been told by the local constabulary <laughs> to stop trying to give people uh, roast dinners out of your coat pockets? <laughs> 
never so I will carry on doing it (laughs) Uh, (laughs) no that is a true story yes I was going to meet my yeah I was going to meet my kids off a train on a Sunday and I'd made a roast dinner and I knew that you know they'd be keen and eager for it so I'd brought along a little bit of the lamb in a bag in my coat pocket and then there was Jimmy Somerville standing on the concourse next to me Uh, he was a bit worse for wear I must say (laughs) Um, and it was only midday on a Sunday, but and we got chatting, and it, it, he was lovely, and he said he was hungry. So I said, "Well, I've got <laughs> got some roast lamb in my pocket." I gave him it. He was he was like, "Oh, this is lovely." Told I told him the butchers I'd got it from, and he lived right near the butchers, and he knew of the butchers, and uh, we bonded over that meat. And he gave me his address. <laughs> I have a lot of time for Jimmy Subville, and I, uh, you know, I'm reasonably confident in my sexuality, although I'm not kind of, you know, not obsessed with it. But there was one moment when I kind of questioned it, where I downloaded these three songs in a row. It was, but just absentmindedly on the train, it was Gloria Gaynor, "I Will Survive," mm. uh, Sylvester, "Do You Want a Funk," oh. and then and then rounded off by an absolute banger, which was um, "Small Town Boy" by um, mm-hmm. uh, was it the Communards or yes. was it yes? Yeah. So yeah, so that um, you know, so Wasn't hopefully that, that will. Uh, Thank you. Oh, yeah, sorry, I knew it. Well, Bron- yeah, yeah. yeah, it was, it was Jimmy then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm now terrified. Maybe that's upset um, uh, with a spoon. The fact that I like small town boy. I don't know. I have to, uh, maybe with this with a spoon, and I should um, check in um, offline, and, and I can I can get my um, uh, cultural digests kind of approved. <laughs> but, uh, uh, very briefly, Saturday AM. I would say that it was good when Fee Glover hosted it and then it all became a bit chintzy and um middle class but uh, but then that's my very british sort of perspective and perhaps if you're sitting in new york um enjoying a kind of an afternoon glass of wine it's a very different experience so um but what was with the spoon saying he was talking about um uh, um you know uh, gavin's rehabilitation and then philip trying to yeah uh, bugger off to spain with kirsty uh, well, sold initially as wales yeah which i <laughs> that was a horrible that was a hard listen wasn't it it was borderline gaslighting if not totally gaslighting that part of it but going back to gavin it he was almost on track wasn't he and we heard him say i know what i've got to do now things have got to change yeah and then yes um with a spoon is right philip did manage to apparently turn gavin around by saying look i know you you're the one who's carrying the load here you're going through the gambling conversations with alistair but you've really got to do it and i'm really proud of you for doing this and i'm sorry and it seemed like he turned around but i think gavin has realized that these sorries and these i'm proud of you moments are self-serving on Philip's part and not genuine and he only said them when pushed. I had to kind of um, slap myself and kind of get myself back on track listening to the bit where um, Gavin was revealing to his dad how the the, the childhood, you know, his childhood wasn't as idyllic as him kind of Philip had convinced himself. I thought that sounded like a cracking childhood out there camping, out in the woods, listening to your dad snore, all that sort of stuff. And I was like, no, okay, not everyone enjoys that stuff. Yes, no, this was terrible. Poor Gavin. Yeah. It would be cracking if you liked your dad. Yes, yes, yes. That was a very yeah. that's a very good point. My dad's not um Philip Moss. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed that part, actually. Um I really enjoyed it when Gavin yeah. went, You're deluded. It wasn't like that at all. Let me tell you the ways it was awful. It was like, hurrah, at last he's turning. Philip did yeah. manage to manipulate him a little bit again, but that's the problem with Philip's situation from a practical point of view, isn't it? It's like he's 
He's kind of coerced um, Gavin into living in the house. He's kind of controlling him with money, and he's you know he has to keep him close to keep him under control. But unfortunately, by doing that, he's brought him into the into the under the influence of some very good and some mm. very kind people. So he can't stop Kirsty from being there and being this person whose instinct is to reach out and support and put you know and and actually Kirsty was the one kind of um, apologizing again and again for you know the mm. arguments they'd had in the past and of course Alistair then piles in and Kerry you were saying what a good man Alistair has been yeah. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right there was a really telling bit where Philip said to Gavin that's the great thing about Kirsty she actually cares <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you remember him saying that. But you know, it's like she actually cares about people. Yeah. It's insane, you know. Um as instructed by Royfield, I feel no compassion or feeling or warmth towards Gavin. He is slaver, he is bad. But Oh um, no, 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 but no, no, in, no, 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 Peter, Peter, you have your own agency in this. Uh, thank you. Look, there you go. You like him. I go, love go Gavin. I love everything thank about you. him, including <laughs> when you think about this childhood he must have had, you know, it, it they're obviously whether you approve of it or not they are trying to add some kind of like uh, moral complexity to Gavin's story so that you mm. at least understand the journey he's taken to get there. But he's actually a victim of Philip as well. The original victim, yeah. Mm. Mm. That's uh, spot on. However, I do agree with Witherspoon in that um, Gavin's recollections of going camping were hardly the most damning indictment of his father and his father's uh, behaviour to him growing up. Yeah, but Philip brought the subject up and Gavin challenged it and this might be the mm. first time he started That's to do true. that. Yeah, Philip has, mm. F- Philip set the context so it wasn't like Gavin was reaching for his most distraught, you know, distressing exactly. memory. If we've got time, Witherspoon did bring up the um, fetal alcohol syndrome baby thing and the Down syndrome baby um, storyline before that was kind of ditched a little too soon for um, oh, many Megan. of the listeners' pleasures. Not Megan, yeah. Bethany, Bethany, sorry. Bethany, yeah. yeah. And, and, and so perhaps therefore thinking that you know they will go with this storyline and see it see it um to its full completion well, this, i don't know that's what a moment of concord that? between um with a spoon and myself a rare moment of concord uh, as i said last week it's a it's a very very long game they're playing if they if uh, if the caller yeah. in from last week was saying that sometimes these symptoms don't play out until 3 or 4 years old mm. um but if they are doing that then that's good because i did think it was a bit of a cop out that i don't want to be i don't know enough about it royfield knows more Witherspoon knows more but for the, for the editor to have distaste with a storyline about a dis- disabled child i thought that was a bit weird yeah yeah, it, it just makes no sense to the reason why Sean O'Connor um, wrote out the, you know, the Tuckers in that you know, Bethany was set up for a much larger uh, storyline, which is to show us that people with Downs can be members of society community, and uh, specifically this community and be valued members. But then yeah. also the struggles that parents with Downs have to go through to have their children, you know, go through the, the normal schooling system, et cetera, et cetera. But Bethany was going to be um, a solid member of, of the village and Sean O'Connor just didn't like that and, and, and wrote them out and it was just poor. The, the last thing I'll say about this fetal alcohol syndrome storyline mm-hmm. is that the range of the symptoms are, are quite extreme from you can have it and you display complete and utterly as normal developmentally and behaviorally through to that you have it severely. So there's a whole wide gamut 
that the script writers have in terms of how this storyline plays out. And as Witherspoon said, you know, and this is me doing 20 minutes worth of Wikipedia about it, so I'm hardly any mm-hmm. expert, and Witherspoon is a medical expert. Number one, when, when the child is born, they're not necessarily going to display. It only d- potentially displays after a few years. Then it's a uh, physical um elements which can be passed off as normal and i cannot remember who was talking to so it's going to be a dum-de-dum who's jumping up and down who i spoke to in the last two weeks who his friend adopted a child that had fetal alcohol syndrome and she displays all the physical characteristics and is a handful but when but they're actually top of their class educationally and stuff. So it, this isn't quite the same as the Down syndrome storyline. Mm. Um, this is much wider in terms of how this can play out behaviorally, physically, et cetera, et cetera. But then again, this was 20 minutes worth of Wikipedia that I did a couple of weeks ago, then speaking to somebody who happened to know somebody who had actually um, you know, adopted a child. There you go. Right. On that note, uh, let's have Liz. I believe, Liz, you're a first-time caller in row, so slap wrist for you for not going through all of the gears, Mrs. But welcome to the game. Hi, Ruffield, and all Dante Dammers everywhere. Um, this is Liz. I know this has already been said, but thank you so much for a lovely Zoom call last Friday. Um, it was really lovely. I loved um, Funny Old Woman coming on. She's really good, really funny. And, yeah, it was just a lovely atmosphere, so thank you so much for organising that. It was really good, and I can't wait for the next live when hopefully we'll all be able to join in person. That would be really nice. On to the archers. I really don't like the gambling storyline at all. The more it's going on, um, it's, it's, it's just becoming so ironic that it's actually becoming a bit ridiculous. And I, I can't wait for Kirsty to find out even more now because um, she's just going to be so shocked, which I think is possibly the angle that the writers are going for. But I, I think Philip will convince Kirsty to move back to Wales, but before she's able to do that, she'll find out and he'll end up running running back to Wales with Gavin or Gavin might stay around. Um, but I think he'll probably go back to Wales with Philip. But hopefully after Kirsty, Kirsty finds out. So yeah, and Alice, it's really horrible to listen to. I, I really hope they're not gonna do um, this alcohol syndrome storyline, but I'm not sure where else this is going. So I think they might be, um, yeah, but I, 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 I just think that Alice is going to slip up somewhere down the line and she's gonna drink a lot and justify it. Um, and I think the baby will end up with complications and yeah, but we'll see how it ends up. Anyway, hope you're all doing well and speak to you again soon. Bye. Oh, thank you, Liz. Thanking you, Royfield, for the Zoom, especially Sunny, and is looking forward to the next one. Doesn't like the gambling storyline. I'm in two minds about it because it's that it's doing that dual purpose thing, isn't it? Of, you know, they're talking at crossed purposes, but it's revealing lots to Gavin and he's able to answer the questions about gambling when actually what he's talking about is how he's dealing with or not dealing very well with the... Do you, 
you like me, Kerry? Is it basically you like it when it's with Alistair and you dislike it when it's back at the house? Yeah, I dislike it when it's Kirsty involved in it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I really liked it with Alistair. Yes, yeah. spot on. And actually, Gavin and Alistair found that they had quite a bit in common, didn't they, about absent mothers and then relying on father figures who potentially let you down and are disappointing. It was really well played, the um, Alistair and um, Gavin scene. And I was uh, listening to it yesterday um, and uh, in, in the bathroom. And so, you know, I had, very, I had it very much to myself. It was all, all on my mm. own. And I was I was getting quite uncomfortable and I started I went to skip through it and then I was and I was like, No, 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 actually you're uncomfortable because it's being well played. I thought this is mm. so, this is working really well because I found the whole thing sort of a, a bit creepy and crawly and, and yeah, you you've got you had that um those two obviously those two plots, the fake plot and the real plot sort of sitting side by side and it, yeah. it worked quite well. But but to Liz's to you know, to, to what Liz was saying, mm. at, back in the back at the homestead it's just awful. Yeah, and she's right, Kirsty will be so shocked. I mean, it's just going to be horrendous, isn't it, when she finds out. Although yeah. she's being really saintly, isn't she, at the moment with poor Gavin, you know, researching everything, making him do stuff. Like, <laughs> she, I mean, she's got no idea. It's all pointless. But um, I don't know. She'd get on my nerves, I think. <laughs> I do find her this this iteration of her a bit annoying, mm. but I but also, you know, that's not that's not a comment on the situation. It's just that it's just it's laid on it's laid on with a trowel. It's not yeah. very subtle. Yeah, I mean, Alice, the Alistair stuff when he was like, nothing was good enough for my dad, um, and and the bit where he he, he had that moment where he realised he was never going to impress him, and yeah. from there on they got along better. Um, I just really, really thought that was powerful stuff, as you've said. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I can empathise a small amount with that. My dad's a, a very, a very impressive man. My dad's an in incredible athlete. I'm the world's tallest man with small man syndrome. I'm the world's tallest runt. I'm six one, but my dad's six five. And uh, um, anyway, he, he's very, very impressive man. And uh, when when I was about nineteen, he arranged for us to go on a run, and it was a race, in fact. And I I traipsed in, kind of like you know, sort of perfectly reasonable position, but nothing spectacular, sort of like sort of uh, in 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 the middle of the pack. And uh, he was there at the finishing line, looking absolutely miserable. And we were walking back to the car and I was kind of, I was like, you know, what's the matter? What's the matter? Why, why are you so upset? And he was like, oh, he wouldn't say anything. He's getting all grumpy. And eventually I was like, look, you know, what on earth are you upset about? And he goes, I thought today would be the day you beat me. And I just, oh, no. I no have pressure. not. No pressure. No. I mean, there's a thousand and one stories I can tell like that. But I mean, he's, <laughs> but, and, you know, over the years, over the years, he's realized, you know, and I, and I often point out that he should be satisfied that I'm, almost uh, limitlessly cleverer than he is and so that he should sort of draw some satisfaction <laughs> from that which he does he does appreciate you know he um you know but but yeah for, for you know for a long time that was a complication and so I do I do think that I did I did empathize with that and I do think it's been well played and you know Witherspoon made the point about the whole camping story seeming a bit trivial maybe although as you said Kerry Philip brought it up, not Gavin. Mm. But I, but you, know, you could make the same accusation about um, Alistair and his dad. Without knowing Jim Lloyd, you might think that not being rated for your knowledge of um, Latin and Greek mythology mm. and you know language as being rather trivial and pathetic until you know Jim Lloyd and realise how seriously he takes it. Mm. 
So it's not necessarily how important something is in society in general, but it's as much about what matters within the family, right? Yeah. It was very, very well written. Exactly. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that last statement. Very well written. Uh, now it's Elsa. Hello, everybody. It's Elsa from Newbury. Um, I just wanted to start. I was going to call in about Kirsty anyway. And then the end of Thursday's episode happened. And I just had to start by saying, no way is Kirsty leaving. Sorry. No. Nope. And then I needed to say that we have spoken at length about Kirsty's misfortunes in life. Poor thing. There was Tom in the wedding and then the baby. And then now she's about to marry this awful, awful man. And it seems that the scriptwriters just have a bit of a vendetta against her and the only way that they can be um uh, forgiven in my books is my following plan so here's the idea it's tricky to be an actor at the moment the arts generally is a tricky old place because there isn't any theater uh films are tricky to make it's just a tricky old world for people in the arts so now is the perfect time to pounce and get some like real a-star talent so i'm talking like brad pitt george clooney someone real sexy, <laughs> real famous, to just happen to buy a house in Ambridge playing themselves. And then they spy from across the room a beautiful lady who's into birds and has a bit of a northern accent. <laughs> and they just can't help but fall in love with her. Um, and I think Kirsty starting a relationship with Brad Pitt is the answer. So um, if Brad Pitt is listening to Dum to Dum, which I have on good authority that he does, scriptwriters, if he doesn't happen to listen to The Archers, you should get in touch um, and just say, hey, we've got this really great opportunity for you to fall in love with a beautiful, beautiful lady on a, <laughs> on a radio docudrama. Anyway, hope you're all well. See you soon. Bye. <laughs> That's brilliant, Elsa. Um, yeah, no way is Kirsty leaving. Well, obviously, it's against the law, isn't it? I like the idea of Brad Pitt coming into Ambridge and wooing Kirsty. Could I make a, a slight tweak, if that's all yeah, right? Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, Brad Pitt, Pitt is obviously sort of painfully good looking, especially the Thelma, Thelma and Louise version. I mean, that he is doesn't well, do it for well me, alive. to be honest with you. But yeah, no, not even not even the Thelma and Louise version. No. Oh, okay. All right. Well, who would be your equivalent then, Kerry? Oh God, that's a good question. On the actor front, uh, Tom Hardy probably. Oh, okay, yeah, a bit, bit more beefy, a bit chunkier, um, but you know, but not too, not too, not too muscly. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm thinking. So obviously, it is a, um, obviously, it is a, a radio, radio show. So I'm going to lean into the, the voice, um, <laughs> and I'm also going to say, what would sting Philip more than a fellow Welshman? I'm going to say Michael Sheen. Ah, mellifluous, rounded, soft Welsh bro. Yes. There's a, there's a sort of a, 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 a zing and a zap to his voice as well. It's kind of, he's got charismatic. And I think, you know, the, 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 the Brad Pitt, the oral Brad Pitt is Michael Sheen, I think. Mm. He'd probably do it as well, wouldn't he? Yeah, he's a good guy. Mm. All right. So uh, there you, you heard here first, folks. Michael Sheen is moving to Borsetshire, specifically Ambridge. I wonder where he's going to live. Number seven, the green. Or... Anyway, uh, only time will tell, but uh, we welcome him to uh, the wonderful docudrama that is uh, The Archers. Welcome, Michael Sheen. Uh, right now, it's Claire. Claire from Clapham. Hi, Dumpty Dum. Claire from Clapham here, back again with a new plot prediction in relation to Gavin. Uh, my prediction is that uh, his in talking to Alistair will give him a good understanding of how to deal with addiction 
which he will then be the person to help Alice with her alcoholism through some kind of 12-step program osmosis, ironically via the means of Gavin, who's not really an addict, addicted mm. to anything. Anyway, you heard it <laughs> here first, folks, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Well, that was short and very, very sweet. Um, what a great idea. Gavin will learn how to deal with addiction from Alistair and will then help Alice. The Gavin Moss Clinic. Yes, it could work, couldn't it? It is possible that he, that, you know, Alice will turn to him because she's, um, and one, th- one thing I, um, the, the podcast, um, the podcast, uh, our podcast went out sort of halfway through last week and um, I was pretty, pretty full on in my um, dislike for um, Chris and Alice. And then Mm. This week, I have to admit, I've been, you know, that's been flipped on its head. I really did feel for Alice, and she, the actress, has done such a good job in sort of, sort of getting some feeling in there. And even when she was uh, um, going toe to toe with Emma, which is, you know, normally uh, any anyone who disagrees with Emma gets my, you know, the, my full irie. But <laughs> you know, I really, really felt for her. And uh, yes, I think that she, she, she's obviously desperate for someone to talk to, and she's come so close with Lillian. She's come so close with. Uh, Kate this week and I think it it does make complete sense that Gavin would be someone she can be honest with. The Emma Alice interaction was fabulous wasn't it? Glorious. Yeah exactly you you know Alice was trying to do the right thing she was trying to apologise make amends you know for the sake of Chris and the baby it sounds all quite wholesome doesn't it? but then Emma just goes, bosh, 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 your voicemail was so nasty. Um, and when Alice said, I've always thought you didn't like me, she went, no, I don't. I never have. What did uh, you think about um, Emma suggesting that there was a kind of conditionality to um, uh, Alice's apology, that you know Emma spotted that it was a, a, an apology mm-hmm. not designed to make Emma feel good, but to actually just smooth over everyone else's lives and sort of you know for, basically blackmail yeah. Emma into a situation where she had to sort of play nice. I think well, Emma flipped at that point, didn't she, when she interpreted it as um, being a, a manipulative, manipulative technique on um, Alice's yeah. part. I I hadn't really. Sense that myself to that extreme. I don't know. Did you at the time? But my my instinct is always to one hundred percent be on Emma's side. Um, mm-hmm. But I must admit, in that in that moment, I did think, well, just a second. I mean, yeah. isn't isn't everyone? Doesn't everyone apologise? Or doesn't everyone try and smooth things over with some kind of political edge? So I thought mm-hmm. she was being a, a little bit oversensitive in that in that yeah. moment. I thought that it was a bit unfair to attack Alice for that. But then but then not really when you when you when you see with the see that look at the starting point. She's just been on the receiving end of a massive tirade from um um Alice. Her mm. mum's accusing her of being a liar. Her brother's accusing her of being a liar. And actually regardless mm. of her motives, she's done the right thing. Yeah. And and also Alice's phrasing where she said, Oh my voicemail, it was it was crass. Anything yes, that was an odd word. A really weird word to choose, and it's too yeah. light. What was that what? fantastic? Um, what was that absolutely killer phrase um, where Alice made the excuse mm. that she was uh, what was it unconscious or no no no? no what, um, and she said um, I was dehydrated. And she went yeah, dehydrated out of your skull. Yeah, that was absolutely <laughs> amazing. <laughs> and I loved how she kept going. You were so hammered. You're always hammered, and it's like a lot, you know. 
I thought actually she would go one step further and literally say to Alice, you've been drinking loads of vodka all throughout this pregnancy. Um, I feel like Emma has been a kind of useful pressure valve for the listener. Just when you can't Mm. stomach any more of this kind of denial, sort of obfuscation and, and sort of like hiding of the truth by Alice, in comes Emma to just go bosh. And kind yeah. of just help you kind of go, oh, yes, thank you. At least someone said it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you just think you can click your fingers and get what you like. You know, I'm sick of it. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it also helps you sympathize with with um, um, Alice more because it, it shows the complexity of it. Anyone who's mm. not insane knows that the truth lives between the two extremes. Exactly. Alice is not some maniac who's determined to destroy a relationship with her husband mm. and, and, and and do irreparable damage to her unborn child. But yeah. equally, she has been incredibly selfish and she has mm-hmm. prioritised her addiction, her illness, you know, let's yeah. be reasonable about it ahead of the uh, ahead of herself and the people she loves so and yeah, yeah. and emma, emma is driven by a huge amount of jealousy um about alice's situation uh home situation family situation money all of that yeah and it would be it would be very very galling to um to see you know i mean her brother her, her brother is living a pretty life not based on merit I mean, mm. he's producing some of the kind of word I can't use—the absolutely most tawdry, clunky <laughs> iron art that I've ever, you know, heard described. <laughs> um, and he's, you know, living the high life. Um, mm. it, you know, he's not even a very good farrier, it seems. Mm. And then, um, and then she's been, you know, pulling guts out of chickens, doing fifteen shifts, mm-hmm. s- serving at the, you know, serving at the knee of, of you know, Peggy Woolley. And then living in a caravan, and that stuff—that stuff that Kate was saying about sneering about when um, Emma came to Peggy asking for money—that I mean, I tend to be quite positive about Kate, but that kind of—I was like, oh, that's not very nice. Kate is not very nice. Okay, all right, uh, uh, Kerry, I, I find it very, very relaxing because when you say these things, I'm just like, okay, that's my new opinion. Okay, fine. <laughs> Kate is not nice. No, <laughs> prove me wrong. You know what, folks? Uh, Here is somebody else who has an opinion, and I think it's a new one. It's Miriam. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Miriam from Edinburgh here. Uh, I probably called in last in 2017 while out walking my dog, Bertie. I've since had a baby, now two-year-old, and moved to Portobello in Edinburgh. So hello, Rosie Portie. I must live somewhere near you. Um, I just wanted to call because I listened to Thursday night's episode and just thought the casual mention of Freddie being both no good with the girls and taking over as a theatrical director mm-hmm. for the Christmas show. I just wondered if they were beginning to hint that perhaps he'll come out as Ambridge's first pansexual character, something along those lines. That was all I wanted to say and hello again. I've been listening in the background, but I never find a moment's peace to call in. Okay, bye. Oh, oh, Miriam, beautiful voice, by the way. Peter, over to you, because you spoke to me about this, didn't you? You said exactly the same thing about Fweddy. It's proportionately, we need another gay person in the village. I mean, it's it's not realistic to have just, or well, pansexual indeed, or one of the other sexualities other than, um, you know, vanilla heterosexual 
um, living. Uh, you know, it's, it, they've got Ian and Adam, and as Witherspoon and various other people have said, you know, Adam and Ian have not done a good job of kind of um, representing mm. the gay voices in the village or kind of in a re- particularly realistic um, fashion. And I think Freddie would be a very, um, I'm, I'm going to say sympathetic, but I'm not sure that's the right word, a very sympathetic kind of vehicle for some of those plots. And also, given his age, it will be a useful window for some people who perhaps perhaps have some more old-fashioned views about Mm -hmm. um, sexuality to see how someone negotiates coming out, um, investigating investigating that, and also to uh, how they sort of explain it to their family and their friends. One thing to do with Freddie that I think Kerry did agree with me about is that I'm finding him a bit of an awkward character at the moment because the elephant in the room is where is the PTSD from his time in jail? Well, mm-hmm. why, how, how has he ended up just being this kind of, um, um, a bride's head revisited esque kind of gadfly flitting around the village, sort of like having, I mean, when he was talking to Linda, surely that was an opportunity for him to exchange notes on some of the traumas he's experienced. One, their shared uh, trauma in the fire and the explosion. And also the fact that he should be uh, in, in, acutely damaged by what he's been through. Um, Peter, so anyway, Peter, yeah, Peter, he, he has actually done that. And, and part of his whole redemptive arc is the fact that he's actually been in prison and he realizes his responsibility to his family and to his friends. So there was the whole thing with uh, Johnny and him thinking that Johnny was taking drugs. That was because of him realizing Realizing uh, the wrong path that he'd gone down. It's him stepping up and trying to do things at lower Loxley, taking on more responsibility and admitting that actually he was irresponsible before. Uh, and Freddie's whole arc is actually predicated on the fact that he was banged up. And then when he first came out, he did actually reflect uh, and tell stories about um, being incredibly lonely and um, feeling out of place uh, behind bars. So is he saying, oh, my God, I, you know, he's not waking up and saying I need to sleep on, on, a, on a hard mattress and whatever. And I got used to it because I spent nine months uh, banged up in a young offenders prison. No, but his whole arc is actually uh, the, 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 the crux of it is that he was actually behind bars. I disagree. Yeah, sir. I think that. I, 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 I think there's a, a middle way between our two, you know, between what we both said, which is perhaps that they put it down too quickly. It just it, sometimes mm-hmm. on the arches, they sort of, I think they feel like, oh, we've done that now, and they just tidy it up. So, and for you know, for the for less sophisticated, uh, more simple folk like me, I need mm-hmm. a bit more of the um, sleeping on the floor and um, you know, um, having you know more overt and obvious um, statements. I think it ha- it was tied. If well, it did feel like it was tidied up quite quickly. But having said that, um, and having agreed with you, Peter, before it's going to crop up again, isn't it? I would imagine. Yeah, you're right. They've got points. time. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. No, I can I can see I can see that point, and I can see Royfield's point as well. And I do I do feel slightly contrite but maybe also also just from a practical point of view and again putting on my stupid fake script editor's hat again um they don't have space for a burgeoning sexuality burgeoning coming out story and also a ptsd story in Mm. one character Mm. so in order to make space for the second one they need to tidy up the first one and that's you know that's just a practical assessment of you know the amount of airtime they've got each week and also i just want to point out i had not twigged about this Freddy thing at all. 
No, nor did I. Yeah. I just yeah. the no good with girls thing and the sort of you know getting. Him. I mean, he was pushed into doing being director, wasn't he? So um, he may flourish in that. I don't know, but I literally had it not occurred to me at all that he might be gay or whatever. Not not heterosexual at all. Yeah, my my gaydar is spectacularly wonky. So I have no. I mean, I. I mean, I. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm always wrong about this stuff. So, um, I. You know, I don't. I don't tend to kind of look out for it anymore because I've. Just, mm-hmm. I've always got it wrong. Um. So in both directions. So yeah, I, I. I don't think I would have spotted it, and didn't. We will listen with interest then. Or maybe Kerry, we're just so unbelievably woke. We just don't even think about sexuality well, anymore. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'll tell you who else is pretty woke. It's Shifty Dave. And he is being reawoken by the new Archers. Hello, Royfield. Hello, Kerry. Hello, Peter. It's Shifty Dave here from Fife and other places, although not so many other places these days as I've been locked down for six months. But I'm not complaining. Fife is very beautiful. And I also want to say I really like the new format for Dumpty Dum. I think you're really uh, doing a great job and I like the uh, chemistry between you all and the chat. It's great. I'm coming back to the Archers after being away. In fact, I only kept up with the storylines via you. Uh, I couldn't bear the monologues. Um, I mean, I just, it was like my bum clenched (laughs) to the point where you could hear the squeaks across (laughs) the fourth river. But I'm back and I'm really enjoying it. I'm calling with a plot prediction about Kirsty. I Like everybody, I can't bear that she's heading for this awful news and she seems to have taken too much tragedy. And in a way, I, like I've, I've said once before, I, I want her to become a gangster matriarch um, to decide to, she's been messed around enough by life, she's going to end up being a kind of gang mistress. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. And in fact, I think I can see the future rolling towards me like a Land Rover about to go over my foot, which is that uh, Kirsty, that Gavin is going to find a conscience oh. through his gambling um, therapy. Uh, he's going to come out to Kirsty. Kirsty will be devastated, but will realise that Gavin is a nice guy. And uh, together they will take down Philip whilst at the same time themselves fully in love. Um, I mean, it's not a storyline I'm looking forward to, but I think they can handle that sort of thing quite well. So perhaps they'll surprise us. Um, anyway, once again, thanks for being uh, fantastic and see you soon. Wow, shifty Davy. <laughs> that is one hell of a plot prediction, isn't it? Um, Kirsty the mole. Yeah. Um, my favourite part about, about shifty Davy's message was that uh, he said, life is beautiful. Can't disagree. And he really likes the new Dumpty Dum format and the chemistry between us. <laughs> Royfield? La Vita Bella. Life is beautiful. La Vita Bella. Um, one thing I would say, Chiefy uh, uh, Davy, it's lovely to have, have you back, sir, on, on the podcast. And you're utterly a valued member of the Dumpty Dum firmament. You can't be more bloody wrong, mate. And it's not about the chemistry between us. Uh, but you couldn't be more wrong about uh, Kirsty and uh, Gavin. Oh, Kirsty's going to oh. feel betrayed by Gavin lying about uh, his supposed gambling addiction. Uh, 
So it depends no how it all unfolds. It depends how it unfolds. Roy, Royfield, you always, you, know. you, always say, you always say, Peter, 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 in a very tired voice, and I'm going to return the favour. Royfield, Royfield, Royfield. It's written by writers. It's not real. It's, no, it's, there, are, no. there is a bunch Peter, of writers. Peter, 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 Peter. <laughs> 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 At the very start of every dum-de-dum, we say this is a darky drama. Yes, but so sometimes you seem to forget that. It is real. No, Pete, right. it's very real. It's very real. Okay, the sorry. only way I can connect with this and how the other five million other listeners of The Archers connect with this is that this is real. It needs to follow some level of semblance to real life. And as as an utter aside... Well, it hasn't done a lot which... of times before. Yeah, we took... Well, sorry, I, I didn't mean, realize. you know... Yeah, well, I didn't realise I was now on a, a Star Trek podcast. I mean, I was <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we're talking about the Archers, right? The, the the show that goes out on Radio Four, the the one about some kind of weird um, uh, middle class wet dream of what a village in England should be like. <laughs> Nigel Farage's, uh, you know, utopia. Yeah, that bears very little resemblance to real life a lot of the time. Yeah, that one. As you were. Oh, this continues, chemistry, sir. the amazing chemistry continues, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, no, I, I, I like Shifty Davies' prediction is, it, you know, you've got to love a pr- plot prediction, however insane it is, um, that Gavin and Kirsty will take down Philip together and fall in love. Yeah, it's, it's, it's completely balmy and so therefore might happen. I mean, I've tried to do any number of sensible and kind of like plausible pro- plot predictions and I've never got one right. Um, no. Actually, but you know, Royfield, you've got some plot predictions right. Just from a, just, is it just, if no. you've got like a kind of a, is it kind Peter, of a feeling Peter. or is it just? Peter, Peter, <laughs> Peter. Here we go. Here we go. I've had one right in six years. So, Exactly. And yeah. it just was spectacularly right in the face of everybody saying, what are you talking about? But I've had one right in six okay, years. So, so we're brother- I gloated for a whole month. We're brothers in wrongness. I don't think Kerry's got any particularly uh, sort of like, you know, um, a steady track record of, uh, of um, predicting things. So I think in, in, why not? Why this this could this could be the future. Uh, and 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 also, you know, like uh, it's I do I do think it's I do think what well, you've said in previous weeks is true. It's, it's almost impossible for Gavin to be rehabilitated mm-hmm. if the rest of the village know. And I don't want to disagree, but I don't think it's possible for Kirsty to forgive him either. Phew. Right. Oh, that was a nicely uh, tied little bow, wasn't it? Yes. Thank you very much. Very, very neat, unlike many storylines in The Archers. And the uh, day that anyone says Kerry, 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 I'm like, Kerry, Kerry, Kerry. out the window. Auntie Kerry Warburton. Right? Uh, I, I'm, I'm acutely aware that time is oppressing. Not only yeah. do we have a gigantuan list of people to thank, but I've got signs to hang up at Central Park in Burlington with my father-in-law. So do we have any emails with a H? We do have emails with a H, and the subject is Ruth is a vile mother. Now, I don't know whether that was going to be a swear word after that as well, (laughs) but um, I think it's just literally that she's a vile mother. What were you going to say, Peter? Just yes, 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 yes. So this is from Silver Girl. She says, hi, everyone. Following on from the discussion last week about Ruth's parenting of Ben, I listened carefully to this Thursday's episode with Ruth discussing Ben during a phone call with Elizabeth. 
Within just 120 seconds and entirely behind his back, she insulted and shamed him no less than five times. (laughs) Yeah, it's brilliant, this email, honestly. Passively aggressively joking about his work ethic, his love life and his clothes. Within the same 120 seconds, she praised the work ethic, education levels and enthusiasm of his peers. In this instance, his fellow uni students and his cousin. All while ignoring the fact that it was Ben's own enthusiasm and hard work that had got this archaeological search underway. What a cow! (laughs) Um, It's perhaps no wonder Ben has a better relationship with his grandmother, who listens to and understands his interests and enthusiasm. The way Ruth relates to Ben strikes me as similar to the way that David relates to Josh. Perhaps Royfield is right. No, okay, it was going so well. I know, but she's put in brackets an exclamation mark, so, you know. Right. (laughs) Um, She's ending strongly. She's ending strongly, (laughs) as you were, Auntie Kerry. No, no, she's as startled as we are about that sentence. Um, We needed to hear a monologue from Ruth to explain where all this comes from with Ben. Love to Mm -hmm. all, Silver Girl. I love that email. Thank yeah. you so much. Over it to was, you, lads. It was definitely, Kerry, you were definitely the person who opened my eyes up to just how poisonous the general parenting you know, is in the village. Mm-hmm. And from that, I then sort of maybe focused on Ruth more. And it's just, it, it's every single time one of her children comes to her with a problem, she, her, her, her absolute first instinct is to give them a kicking and to put them down. And yeah. and yet and even this, even even in the same episode where within the 120 seconds she was you know flattering mm. Sanso and putting down Ben, yeah. um, she was she sounded like um, Gollum talking about the ring when she was talking about the Saxon coins. It was kind of like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was you know. And just last week she was uh, uh, absolutely dismissive. So yes, yeah. sorry, I, I I can barely talk. I'm so excited with agreement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. Ruth and David, as your parents, just imagine that for a moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to call my parents straight after this. I called my grandmother last week after the last episode. Oh, I'm going to call my parents. Yes, I did. I was, yeah. I, I was moved by the um, by Ben and um, Jill's conversation, and I had a very nice chat mm. with um, my nan, uh, June. And yeah, I think I will. Yeah, I should get in touch with my parents, tell them how how fantastic they've been, and then I'll contextualise it by comparison to two dreadful fictional parents on the Archers. <laughs> Yeah, you're right, though. When when um, Ruth was sort of going, Thrimsa, gold coin, scooters, <laughs> silver. Yeah, it was. Um, it was Very um, rare. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah and, 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 and obviously, uh, I'm so oversensitive. Obviously, I'm not criticising the actress who plays Ruth because, you know, that was. But no. it was very kind of like sinister. She really lent into it. Mm. Well, sinister is the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Yeah, especially considering Greedy. how awful she was about the very thought of them venturing exactly. onto her land. You, yeah. Royfield, you've talked to the actors and actresses. I've never talked to any of them. I'm kept well away. Do, do any of them dislike the characters or have any of them told you that they actually sort of have a problem with the characters they have to play? That's a really good question. No. They frequently say they don't understand a character's motivation. They don't understand a storyline or the point of a storyline. But I'm yet 
to speak to somebody who says they out and out dislike the character who they play. I suppose, not that if anybody tells me anything, that I'll go off and, and, and tell anybody, but also there is uh, that old actor's truism that if a, if a character is a baddie, they love playing it because it has more range. Yeah. Then yeah. also there is the fact that if you do not like your character, be careful because if anyhow it gets out, you'll be axed. It is a job. So yeah. there are a couple of reasons for never actually admitting that you might actually load the character that you play because yeah. at least it's putting bread on the table. I mean, I, I have heard the kind of maxim you hear from actors that they they say that even if it's a baddie, you have to assume that the the the, the baddie likes themselves. You have to kind of find that love for the character that the character mm-hmm. the character would have. I, I I think what I meant was as much kind of like if I had so for instance if I you can hear the relish with which um, Linda and Lillian is you know are played, whereas and Jazza etc. I mean, I just imagine. I mean, more power to Tim Bentinck for trying to breathe some life into that empty husk that is david archer i mean he does a fantastic job to sort of breathe any life into that creature um so yes my hat okay but i i would say though right and it'd be wrong for me to call tim a pal but we've spoken on numerous occasions now and we are more than just passing acquaintances with each other and i think he would say that there is a lot of nuance with david and that also David is written in a way which can appear to be quite bland because actually the Brookers lot and him in particular are actually the the compass point of the whole drama, that they can't be this wild, dysfunctional family veering from disaster to disaster because they are, in effect, the premier family. And he, mm. in terms of his role as as David has taken on very much the mantle of his father, Phil, yeah. and the actor who played Phil in that he's like the grandfather, the big daddy of all of the actors. So he has a, uh, uh, so there's the, there's the character that he plays and then also his responsibility that um, he actually is, um, not only has he succeeded by being uh, the head of Bro- uh, Brookers, but also he kind of looks after all of the actors. So it, it's kind of, it's kind of complex. But mm. Phil, his father, wasn't the most dynamic character by any stretch of the imagination. But that's because they're actually the very centre of, of the whole edifice of uh, of the Archers. But on that note. I wouldn't say that David is bland. That's not the word I would use. It's how grumpy and negative and miserable he is. That's my mainly. But yes, I take really take your point about him being the North Star. fulcrum. Yeah. For me, he does have his tetchy relationship with his brother Kenton. Um, mm. It's is mu- much more easy and affable with his two sisters. He does have a slightly creepy relationship with his mother. He does have, as we said last week, uh, Kerry. This relationship mm. with, with with his wife, which is built fundamentally on fear, underlying fear that she's going to go and hurt him again. He has a 
slightly dysfunctional relationship with his eldest son. He doesn't understand him. He doesn't understand why he is this um, slightly dodgy businessman. There, and then he has a simpering relationship with his elder daughter. There's loads of things mm. there, uh, you know, with, yeah. with the character of David. It's just that they're not wham bam in your face. It's not Kenton and Jolene. It's not the Grundys. It's you know, uh, you have to slightly, uh, you know. Uh, look look under the bonnet really to see exactly yeah, what's going why on. Why is he so miserable? Because that's what he <laughs> Married is. To Ruth. On that note, we're going to take a little break. We're going to come back the other side. It's going to be um, Amber. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Amber's back, folks, and uh, we had a mailbag about Amber's uh, fantastic first uh, social media review. Uh, by popular acclaim, Amber is back. Amber, you're up. Hello Dumpty Dummers, it's Amber here to bring you this week's social media roundup. Of course, one of the key topics has been around Philip and Gavin. The group has been a hub of education, with materials about modern slavery being circulated, and questions around whether this storyline will lead to a reflection on life in Ambridge, and how ethical the lifestyles of its residents are. Zoe Picton had a plot prediction for us. Following the horses' fallout and implosion of Kirsty's relationship with Philip, she will end up with Alistair, after he supports her throughout. Many people expressed how much they liked this idea, yet unfortunately, every lovely idea has its holes. 
Laura Jackson said that while she likes it, Alistair is almost 20 years older than Kirsty and she's still looking for her career and he's looking to retire. Zoe Picton p- brings up how in many ways they're well matched, especially since we've seen Alistair's kinder side in the last year or so. Personally, I like the idea, but I don't think this is the plan laid out for her. Equally though, Philip is not her forever man. The seeds have already been sown that she's desperate to have children. So I think if she's going to end up with anyone, it's probably going to be Sausage Boy. Related to this, I shared a plot prediction of my own. After Philip saying how he didn't even like living at Beechwood anymore, when shit inevitably hits the fan and he's excised from the village, Emma will get her Beechwood home after all. Wendy Rowcroft thought that this was a good idea, but also, like many of us, just wants Kirsty to get a decent bloke. Shame, really. Rock in a hard place. Which would you rather? Sausage boy or slave overlord? On then, to the subject of Emma and Alice. Caroline Wright started the conversation with no Henry Kissinger award for Emma. She was a bit brutal towards Alice. Wonder if Alice will now tell Christopher the full story of her drinking. I, personally, feel like Chris knows something is up at this point. He's not a complete smooth brain, but would you want to face up to that? He'll cut Alice off to give her reassurance, cutting her off, perhaps because he's too afraid to hear her continue. Emma's harsh words were a divisive subject, though. Karen Ridley said, To be honest, I was cheering every word, and it's about time someone told Alice a few home truths. Sue Lee said, I'm on Team Emma for once, and Caroline Pierce said it was a rubbish apology. Pat Ralph Hanavan said, I felt a little guilty that I can't rev up any sympathy for Alice, and I was cheering for Emma as I do most of the time. On the other side from this, though, we had more Emma critical. Wendy Rowcroft, two features in one episode, I say, said, Emma was justified in being furious with Alice but she does come across as being pretty nasty. David Egan agreed that Councillor Emma Grundy missed out on a chance to be the adult in the room. And in this week's Wretchworthy Storyline of the Week, we seem to have come to a unanimous chorus of dry heaving at manky Vince Casey trying it on with our Elizabeth. Even academic archers had a, had a few vomit emojis, Namely, Michelle Laverick expressing her disgust at Vince's My Little Princess. Ew. Shazza Baron commented that Vince is a carbon copy of Matt. Rachel Ealing said, Do you think? He seems fairly wide, but not cruel or actually criminal. Shazza conceded, Good point. But they're definitely both knobs. Yes. Leslie Greaves commented, He's got a voice that my mum would call common, so he must be a baddie. So we'll end with a plot prediction from Stephen Bowden. Vince and Elizabeth sitting in the tree. (laughs) That's all we've got time for this week. Look forward to seeing your comments in the weeks to come. Bye. Amber, as always, oh, good grief. Yeah, you've summed up the whole week in archers fandom to aplomb. We'll look forward to hearing from you again in approximately five weeks time. Peter.
Is it Twitter time? It is Twitter time, Peter. I want you to hit us with some tweets from Twitter time that have happened Absolutely. in the last seven days. Roy Field likes to knock me about a bit on the show um, oh, with a speed, correct me on a week. Peter, no, no, Peter, no, Peter. no, no, it's true. I get, to, I get a little bit of a, a tongue lashing on Twitter. I mean, this is, Roy Field, this is going somewhere. I Not think it's me. time that I. When have I ever, when have I ever tongue lashed you? When have I ever tongue lashed you on Twitter? <laughs> you okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think we all know the point I'm making. I think it's time for me to assert dominance, show that I have a, a spine, and I feel that we've been a little <laughs> bit creepy and crawly to a regular uh, um, tweeter about the archers, a bit buddish. Um, and this week he let himself down, and so we're starting off um, our first ever light slap on the wrists, and um, a bit buddish has uh, done a particularly bad tweet, which is it says, <laughs> Kirsty should change her name to Vichy. Which I think is a a clumsy reference to the um, uh, uh, French traitors who worked alongside the Nazis in the Second <laughs> World War. So I hope this acts as a corrective to um, a bit British's um, overly swollen ego, and he can come back next week and try and get into the gold, silver, and bronze position. Um, Kerry, do you think what? that's unfair? Peter, do you know what? He's such a lovely, lovely bloke. He will be laughing at that. And he well, will embrace it. Well, yeah. Kerry, I hope he's not laughing and I hope he's taking me seriously. Uh, that's what I want. Um, have a think about yourself a bit, Buddhish, and hopefully we'll see you next week. Um, anyway, so yes. Um, has he? Have, is this the first week he hasn't had a gold, silver or bronze? Probably, or yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, and maybe, just maybe, I'm saying as much about how desperately predictable um, Kerry and I are. Anyway, so now gold, silver, bronze in bronze position, as is traditional. Brian Holding at Buggy Swires. Um, and he says, um, didn't take Philip long to put out that little flame of rebellion in Gavin's heart, did it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, so. And- so you're not going for comedy. <laughs> comedy I mean, to be honest, the, my I don't know about your process, Kerry, but mine was very much just during the tweet along. I I save the ones that kind of speak to me to one side. No, that's 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 oh, it. I don't really think about no, them much I more went than that. Funny one. I I went for will they make me laugh? Well, they did make me laugh, but then I read them out and they didn't make you two laugh. So your your well, tactics probably better. It, I mean, it, I think my 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 first criteria is making me laugh, and that one I think did make me laugh. But I'm I'm, so, I'm sorry. Yet again, it's yet again. I feel like I'm having to do some kind of um, um, preemptive therapy. Poor Brian's <laughs> going to hear this in a couple of days' time and feel very like that. Brian, I appreciate you. There was a funny gif on there as well, which oh, I wasn't going to mention. Well, you know, but I thought it's I, 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 I thought it stood. I thought it stood on its own two feet without the gif. But anyway, um, if anyone wants to see it, it is on the interwebs, and you know. <laughs> At Buggy Swires. So oh. silver position, um, Gem Butters, um, two T's, at Gem Butters. And she said, I'm nervous now, Kerry. It's she a man. Says, Don't say she. Uh, oh, sorry. The, I, yeah. I can't, I, I haven't, my glasses are, uh, need a refresh. I can't <laughs> see the, the, the thumbnail properly. Okay. Um, so, okay, deep voice, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Gem <laughs> uh, says, right, <laughs> I'm setting up Archers Anonymous. There is no need to be ashamed of your addiction. It has caught tens of thousands of ordinary people in its grip. It cuts you off from your family and friends for 45 minutes a week. Be brave. Admit you have a problem. <laughs> Do you reckon that's a gem-like very, voice? Very good. I can't remember where gem Thank is you. from. We follow each other on Twitter, but that was splendid. <laughs> right, yeah. So that's where gem's from now. Yeah, and, very clever. Right, okay, now... Royfield puts in his, uh, um, um, uh, you know, kind of 
planetoidally uh, dramatic um, music Our underneath this. And fanfare of the common man. Yes, it's, oh it's there. Yeah. It's the father of Stuart Copeland from the police, the drummer, don't you know? Ah. What about mm-hmm. common women? You know what? You're speaking to the wrong person here, uh, Kerry. I didn't name it. <laughs> but I hear you, sister. I hear you. I'm a common woman and I want to be represented. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've got, we've got a week to, to write it, Royfield. All right. <laughs> so here, so gold position. We have Pajama Llama at Shaz Llama. And... Um, I'm going to say she. I think I think it's a she, yes. right? Um, and I'm not going to do a voice. Uh, so it's, it comes in two parts because she replies to herself. So she starts off saying, Kirsty and Philip's wedding vows. If anyone objects to this wedding, wedding say nay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? Yes. And then she said, and then she follows by saying, something, something bridal sweet. I don't know. Make your own joke up. Very good. Very horsey. Yes. Like well it. done. She, well she's done. All concerned. Uh, right at this point, folks, um, it behoves me to go back to the uh, script. And he's saying, "Script? This thing is not scripted." You're right. It's just a <laughs> you loose. You wouldn't bloody uh, know, would you? <laughs> but dumdum.com go there. It's got awesome things you can do there. But anyway, moving us swiftly on from that, the next bit. I say is this, you can support this podcast by going on to Patreon or even PayPal. And I disproportionately big up the patrons and forget the very clever people that have gone on to PayPal and said, hmm, I can set up a recurring payment. So all of you are going to get thanked now because folks uh, without you quite simply there would be no dum dum podcast i would not be able to afford to do this uh peter's rider which uh we haven't talked mm. about peter's rider in quite some time we always talk about kerry's don't we being oiled down was it freddie flintoff that oils you down uh, uh <laughs> kerry I, I can't remember smashing but you know what they're top of the line port scratchings aren't they that come on your rider there you go you know they are the champagne of of port scratchings which our auntie (laughs) kerry demands before warming up her mic they work very hard my co-hosts but apart from them just working hard there's things that need to be paid for hosting when things go down and i know we've had problems with uh, people being able to sign up for the blooming podcast so i'm gonna have to get good old jesse who lives in california on the case and it's gonna start next week to try and figure out why so many of you just cannot sign up it costs money is the point of me talking about this so here we go folks these are the massed assembled ranks of not only patrons but people on paypal and then also the fact that we've had one two three four donations in the last three months so First off, Adam Rayner. Alex Kavanagh. Alison Fay. Alison Kirby. Alison Smith. Amanda Hart. Amy Gilbert. Amy Norris. The Majestic Andrew Horn. Andy Bent. Anne Charles. Anna Bradbury. Anne John. Annie Beaumont. Audrianne de Cavarubias. Miel Mucker from Alameda. Barbara Wiseman. Bernadette Maguire. Bonnie. Brian Holding. Candida Beeching. Carla Wiley. Carolyn McKendrick. Caroline Pierce. Catherine Chevalier. Catherine Rowan Jones, her of the accent oh. of the, the great gravelly voice. Please ring in again, Catherine. Catherine has been a little bit poorly sick uh, recently, oh. and that's the reason why she's taken a little bit of a back seat, but she's still supporting us. Chris Ackrey. 
Christiane. Christopher McKiddy. Claire Astbury. Claire Newsom. Claire Watson. Claire Aitkin. David Martin. Dennis Garou. Dee Middleton. Don Quixote. Dorothy Brown. Ed Price. Elizabeth. Elizabeth Morcom. Emily Crow. Emily Shaw. Flo Roberts. Functional Fibres by Remnant Ruth. That's a good name. <laughs> Gary Riches. Glyn Fuller Love. Gretchen L. Anthony. H.J. Grady. This sounds <laughs> like a cricketer circa 1950. Helen Muse. Ian Morrison. Ian Price. Ian Streeter. Jacqueline Berto. Jan Mitchell. Jan Tomalin. Jane Gage. Jane Room. Janie Brandt Beswick or Bezik. Jennifer Reba. That's that's me old pal and, and landlady when I'm in uh, California EIA. Uh, Jenny Newham. Joe Cosgrove. Joe Crouchman. Joanne Smith. Joanne Hudson. Jonathan Blunden. Judith Phillips. Julie Davis. Julie Harvey. Carl Jonas Johansson. Kate Pemberton. Kathleen Anstey. Katrina Wilson. Yeah, Kirsten Foster Laura Cook Lillian McCarthy Linda Miller Liz Smythe Lonnie J. Bihar Maddie Kaup uh, who did a wonderful meetup for us in Ottawa Magic at Mungo's Mandy Belshaw Marion Janin Martine Mary Argent Catuala Maurice Snell Melanie Matthews Melanie McLaren Melissa Mari Gillespie Michael Rowan Michelle Vangrove Mishimoo Mick Tozer Mike Pearmain Missy Purple Pumpkin Morgan Johnson <laughs> Ms. C.A. Cox Nancy Dickey Nicola Hedlam I had no idea that the good doctor uh, was a, a contributor, thank you Nicola Maxfield Norman Driscoll Pat Chow Pamela Stanworth Pat Brown Patricia Moucher Patricia R. Hanavan Paul Driscoll Paul Shalise Paula Fomby Peter Sturk Pippa Toza Ragdoll Richard Latter Richard Lucas Robert Killick Robin Jones Rose Kaluk Rosie Porty Yay. Yay! Ryan McConnell Sally D Sally Wood Sarah Evans Sarah Amanda Hydes Sarah Bailey Sarah Best Scott Matthewman Sean B. Fisher Silver Girl Simon J. Vickers Simon Pilgrim Siobhan Wilde Sophie England Stephanie Evans Stephen Bowden Stephen McGowan Stephen Askey Suyin Jordan Sue Lee Susan Goffstein Susanna Mary Young Susie Sullivan Tracy Carroll Trish Houghton-Dube Verna Walroth Vicky Cole Yay, Vicky Cole and Yvonne McKenzie We thank you all from the bottom of our hearts because seriously folks without uh, these stalwart, stalwart, stalwart um, defenders of all things dum de dum and they defend it with their wallets with their purses with their paychecks with their bank accounts there wouldn't be any podcast six years and running all down to those and the people who that used to also support the podcast but for many a reason can't do it anymore uh so we thank you we thank you we thank you 
Remember, to get in touch, you can send us a voice message via SpeakPipe on the website or call 0203 031 3105 to leave a message or send a text message starting with DUM to 077-862-00690. The podcast came out of Twitter. Peter does Tweets of the Week from Twitter. I don't know where else you do Tweets of the Week from, but you know what I mean. (laughs) It's like, basically, uh, Auntie Kerry Warburton wouldn't be part of this if it weren't for Twitter. Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. It's the DNA. It's the very bone marrow. It's the very essence of dum dum So it's only right and proper that you can find dum dum on Twitter by typing in dum dum Auntie Kerry Warburton, um, where mm. can you be found on Twitter? I'm at Kerry Warbis, which is at K-E-R-I-W-A-R-B-I-S. And it's at dum T-dum, which some people think it's dumb D-dum, and they go mm. off into a whole other parallel universe. Mm. There you go. Uh, Pete Ficklin, it's really good that we have you on this podcast. Another reason for your erudition, your wit, your insight, your uh, recollection of uh, your childhood memories of vis-a-vis Ma and Pa <laughs> and how that then relates to the world of Ambridge. Uh, so uh, why don't you tell people how they can find you on Twitter, Peter? Yeah, if people want to find the giant mess of emotional scar tissue that is um, my um, social media outpourings, they'll find me at Pete Fickling on Twitter. And then uh, you can also find me if I'm A, be bothered to tweet, B, remember to even tweet, C, have something cogent to say, D, uh, I used to do a whole thing about Deep House and stuff on, on the Twitters and great tunes of the week that I'd found. Those, those, those are my halcyon days on Twitter where I was putting on followers like there's no tomorrow. Then it came to an abrupt halt round about, ooh, 2012 don't know why but anyway if you want to you know maybe help me relive those halcyon days when i used to really quite like twitter and was exercised by and engaged you can follow me at royfield now uh the next bit is in red auntie kerry warburton it's very very important remember when tweeting about the archers and i have noticed not everyone is doing this still so please use the capitalized hashtag of Hashtag the archers with a capital T and a capital A, as this helps visually impaired people who use screen readers, because without the capitals, it reads like a string of gobbledygook. Also brain impaired people like me. I just find it a lot easier. When you see, uh, you know, the um, hashtags written out uh, with capitals, we have. I mean, we we have been saying this for quite a while, and there's still. Pe- I think I need to actually tweet it as well, this message, so that it gets across. And then just give people a bit of a twatting as well. You know, if he's you know, walk down the street, Kerry, and if the, you bump into somebody and you say, "Look, hashtags," do you capitalise? If they say no, across the top of the head. <laughs> Okay. It, could be a, it could be a bit more, bit more carrot and less stick. Uh, do you want a nice piece of lamb from my pocket? Okay, <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Seeing as you've capitalised, here you go, and then on to the next person. Oh, I, I would so love to be that superhero with a cake and <laughs> lamb, lamb lady. in my pocket. Yeah, <laughs> I can do that. Facebook, folks. You know, it's 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 the bane of all of our lives. Some see it as a necessary evil. Some just see it as evil. The Russians love it because it helps to distort our democracies. Um, horror, putrid pools of fascism uh, lurk there. 
and Zuckerberg and his minions do next to nothing about it. But amongst all that grime, that dirt, that fascism, <laughs> that evil that threatens our democracy is dumpty dum. You can go there on Facebook, type in dumpty dum, and uh, you'll find 700 odd bright, spangly, happy souls that do nothing, that exude sunshine and unicorns and uh, hearts emojis at you whilst talking about the archers. So go onto Facebook if you must, but do dum-de-dum because you have to. Uh, right, now um, I want to say ta a bit because I've got things I need to do. And since we've been recording, my father-in-law has come into the room, looked at me and I had to shoo-shoo-shoo him away uh, because I was still doing dum-de-dum, you know, first things first and all of that. So I'm going to say, Kerry. Yeah. Do you have any Parthian shots, any last words before I say ta a bit and uh, bid everybody adieu? Oh, my God. Not really, other than I'm feeling like a symphony in concrete. Ooh, that's a little callback to the last <laughs> week in the Arches. Well tired. done. I, I was I was I was doing a weird sort of semi laugh, semi kind of like ooh, very clever in my head then. So yeah. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Is that your 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 passing shot then, Peter? You've got nothing well, more just to say no, than that because that'd be awesome for the edit if it was. Just saying. Well, I've had a very nice um, uh, uh, time oh, with you both, Peter, and I look Peter, forward to seeing you soon. Peter, Peter, Peter. Oh, Peter. Right <laughs> Stop it. Have you got that? Have you got that on a recorded loop or something? Yeah. I did. It's my ringtone on my phone. Um, but <laughs> folks, listen, thank you for joining us uh, this week. Uh, dum de dum Towers. I've been in Burlington in, uh, in Canada. The, the sky is grey, but uh, working with Peter and uh, Kerry feels like it's blue. It's been wonderful. Hopefully <laughs> you've enjoyed uh, the last one hour, 20 odd minutes of dum de dum as much as I have. Uh, Peter Ficklin, do you like to say goodbye? See you guys. <laughs> no, no, I won't have Mince, that. Mince Casey said it, didn't he? In last yes, week, he did. He did, he did I say it. Roy. And oh, by the way, Roy, I, I do a cracking Vince Casey impersonation, oh, which does. I will unleash in the future. Oh, no, 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 go on. Let's, let's no, 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 not that. No, no, it's, it's no. It's got to be used. It's got to be, be used regularly. Exactly. It's almost as good as my Matt Crawford, which is oh, just spectacular as well. Mm. Anyway, yeah, right, folks. Um, so there you go. There's more reason to tune in to a future Dum De Dum because you never know when. Pete is going to unleash <laughs> his inner mince Casey on you. Have you. That'll have uh. you right, good and proper. Now, it's Caroline Wright, her of the poems. Uh, whenever Caroline sends me in a poem, I say to myself, you know what? Let's keep the best till last. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Hello, this is Caroline Wright. I hope you enjoy this short poem. Why we listen to the archers. It's a little bit of rural life in a sea of rushing around. It's a little bit of peace in our hasty toing and froing. It's the sound of cows when sitting in traffic. It's the sound of pigs when reading the paper. It's the ins and outs of different families. It's the personalities, the dodgy accents, the ups and downs of village life. 
It's the flower and produce show and the Christmas play. It's the village shop and the village gossip. It's Grey Gables, Lower Loxley and the Bull. It's grandmas and granddads, mums and dads and children. It's a story which has lasted throughout our lives. It's tragedy and comedy in equal measure. It's David and Eddie and Shula and Jill and Ruth and Tracy and Josh and Phil. It's lots of characters interwoven through different plots. It's jealousy and envy and lust and greed. It's kindness and love and compassion and trust. But above all, it's our archers. It's the programme we love and keep loving through thick and thin, whatever the weather, whatever the season, whatever the time of day. It's our archers. There you go, folks. Well done. Better than Compton. Compton. Compton.